welcome to the Circular Economy Show podcast by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. I'm one of the hosts of this podcast, Seb. In this episode of the podcast, I speak with Carsten from the Foundation and Eric from WWF to understand better what to expect from the ongoing negotiations on a global, legally binding treaty to end plastics pollution. The latest round of negotiations, known as Inc. 2, are taking place in Paris as this podcast is published. I was keen to find out what could be expected from this week's negotiations, why this treaty is so important, and what recommendations the Foundation and WWF were working with various businesses into the discussions. I started by asking Eric, what exactly are the Foundation and WWF working on together? So we're working together to uh, make the most out of this once-in-a-generation opportunity to create a global regulatory framework uh, for plastic pollution. Um, We are, uh, of course, coming from slightly different perspectives, developing our, our policy asks for specific regulations to be included in the treaty. And I think we both uh, realized uh, a few years back, this has been a a long process as all international treaty processes, we realized that many of the ambitious uh, companies didn't really have a platform and a channel into and weren't really represented in the discussions uh, at the global level. And that there was actually a lot of potential ambition and interest out there uh, that that was fragmented and, uh, and, and didn't really make it through. And then, of course, there's the important experience, I think, from both organizations that a lot of the voluntary actions taken by businesses hasn't been enough to date and there's a need for something, for something more. So therefore, we came together uh, and started convening the progressive business voices uh, to come up with strong recommendations for the treaty process. What does that tangibly mean for the foundation, Carsten? Yeah, I can only compliment what I just said. Uh, that at the foundation, we started mobilizing the private sector towards circular economy solutions for plastics and even beyond. Uh, it started all with our new plastics economy initiative in 2016. And then we embarked on a journey uh, on the global commitment together with the United Nations Environmental Programme. But as Eric mentioned, this is all a voluntary framework for actions from businesses, but also from governments to create the enabling conditions to uh, tackle plastic pollution and move towards circular economy for plastics uh, at the national level and partly also at the international level. And the realization is that we may have to move towards binding rules and mandatory policies, but that should not happen on a country by country level by where everybody takes a slightly different approach, but rather in a coordinated and more effective uh, um, uh, approach via a globally uh, binding treaty. So it's been a bit of a journey and it's fundamentally about, in many ways, this collaboration about bringing the private sector voice into this ongoing negotiation. I guess the next question, Eric, is why is it so crucial this treaty is legally binding? And maybe the question underneath that question is, you know, why are businesses supporting regulation against themselves? Yeah, I think it's really fundamental that it is uh, binding. Otherwise, you lose really that uh, harmonization aspect. You lose uh, the the 
potential opportunity that is there in common rules. Because once it is not binding, then you start getting all kinds of versions of the same intentions in all kinds of different national legislation. So in order to actually be able to have specific regulations at the global level that counts for all countries and that are the same in all countries where businesses operate, then you need a treaty uh, to be binding. And I think that uh, businesses are actually, well, not all, but quite a few businesses and those that we are working with are actually uh, then advocating for regulation on themselves because they see First, there's a realization that the efforts that they are able to do voluntarily within their own organization are not enough. And if they do what actually is needed, I guess there is a fear of actually being outcompeted uh, as well. And then the second is uh, the cost of, of uh, operation. If you have a very clear set of global rules specific on the different products you use, the types of plastic you use, etc. Then you you know your operating space, and you can you can work within that also at the global level. If you have 196 different laws to deal with, it becomes very complex. It becomes uh, there's a, a lot uh, of then costs related to operating in that uh, framework. So I think there are. Uh, uh, different views coming from the private sector going into this, but they're all like pushing for that harmonization, that common approach to regulating plastic pollution instead of the fragmented one we've seen the last years. And, and Carsten, you mentioned the new plastic economy global commitment, the voluntary commitments that uh, the foundation has worked on with various organizations over the last three years. Um, legally binding measures like this, they're critical to getting the circular economy over the line, if you like. Yeah, I mean, the message that we hear from the businesses in our network most often is we are committed to go that far. But if the rest of the industry, the rest of the market doesn't follow the same basic rules, we are a bit lost because we need to be stay competitive. If the rest of the economy stays in a linear take-make-waste model, but we are trying to implement a different type of business model for plastic, for different plastic applications, but taking packaging as an example, um, we will never make it to transform uh, fully the market uh, and reduce plastic pollution. So they are keen that the treaty enables um, governments to set consistent rules that then all companies on the market have to follow. So establishing a level playing field and um, to have a fair uh, competition with the rest of the market on the best solutions. That's what they expect from a global treaty. So this is really about making the economics of a circular economy for plastics work. Um, I understand, and Carsten, correct me if I'm wrong, but I understand that, because uh, these are quite complicated international processes, but I understand that one, um, one element of this is the coalition will submit recommendations into the negotiation processes, including the ones upcoming in Paris. What are those business coalition recommendations for this phase of the negotiations? Yes. Together with WWF, we have uh, created the Secretariat for the uh, Business Coalition for a Global Plastics Treaty, and we are facilitating a discussion on, based on the learnings to date from these voluntary initiatives, but also from regulations that are already in place and which may not fully be fully functional to address 
the root causes of plastic pollution. We are taking these insights and trying to transform that into policy recommendations that we are bringing for each round of these multilateral negotiations. And obviously, we start from a vision, a common vision, for which is a circular economy in which plastic never becomes waste or pollution, and the value of products and materials, not just plastics, but those who are containing plastics or replacing plastics are retained in the economy. And then we think the treaty needs to support progress in three critical areas. And these are the starting points that we're trying to enhance a common understanding of the industry, of the governments, but also uh, other civil society stakeholders. And the first one is around reduction of plastic production and use through a circular economy approach. That means we would like to focus and get rid of some of the plastics that have really high leakage rates that are ending up very likely in the, uh, in the environment, which are short-lived, means they become waste very quickly. And in many countries, we cannot handle them properly at the end of life yet. Or that are made from using fossil-based virgin resources, where we see this is not a sustainable model going forward. Once we have looked at the plastic items uh, that can be eliminated, we have still we are pretty confident we will have, uh, continue using plastics as a material for many applications that we want to maintain. But we need to make sure that we are keep those plastics in the economy and out of the environment. That's where the heart of the circular economy discussion and recycling takes place. And then we have to acknowledge, at least over the coming decades, there are a lot of sources of plastic pollution, either the bigger parts, macroplastics we call them, or the really tiny bits that we can't even see, microplastics, that are really hard to abate. So we need to think about either preventing them from the, upset, uh, from the outset, or we need to remediate the pollution that they caused already in the environment. So reduction, circulation, and prevention alongside remediations are the three pillars where we are building our policy recommendation on. And, and those will be discussed in Paris? I start off and then I invite Eric to uh, complement what will be happening in, in Paris. But uh, as a, in preparation for that next round of um, negotiations, uh, they also, the governments also have created a secretariat and they have put together different options that they want governments to look at. And indeed, um, we have compiled um, policy measures that we think will be needed to address um, plastic pollution effectively. And the governments have um, submitted their own ideas. And now they are put into a structure where you can discuss which are the options that really need to be included in that at the international level into a legal burning instrument. And um, uh, we'll talk a bit about Paris in a moment, but uh, you know, reduction, circulation, prevention as kind of priorities coming out of these uh, business coalition recommendations feels really clear. I wondered, Eric, whether you could talk about what the priorities ought to be. Like, obviously, this is a very broad space. There's a lot of different kinds of plastics and different kinds of usage and use cases. What are the priorities for the partnership between the foundation and WWF and the business coalition in terms of these negotiations and also this specific point in negotiations? I think uh, at at this stage, uh, a main priority, a kind of a cross-cutting priority is to make sure that we get a treaty that is uh, binding, that has the common global rules, that has the different categories of regulation, uh, that we have a treaty that is able to uh, 
eliminate the most high-risk plastic pollution products that leads to an overall reduction that creates uh, the necessary regulations for circularity and that uh, has the the right regulations at the global level also for for collection and remediation. So uh, I think uh, once we get that starting point, uh, hopefully taking important steps already in Paris, that will allow the whole global community to go into details over the next coming years on which products will fall into which categories, etc. So I think that is really a, a key priority for us. And I think, to be honest, we... Uh, we know already a lot. We we hear a lot of this, you know, the the plastic pollution problem and economy is so big and so complex. But I think both from an environmental perspective, where we in WWF are coming from, and from uh, a, a business perspective, um, and from human health perspectives uh, uh, and scientific perspectives as well, there is already a lot of information. We have already the information that we need in order to start with the most problematic types of plastics and, and you know, start establishing global regulations. So I think it's, to a certain extent, uh, maybe even less complicated than it is sometimes portrayed as. We can create those global regulations and then that will gradually be built upon over the next years. Of course, in two years, we won't have the perfect treaty that deals with everything it has to do in the plastics uh, economy. But if we have the tools, the regulatory tools in the treaty, we can expand on the details in COPs over the next decades. I like how you describe that in terms of it not being purely a silver bullet. It's about setting a new direction for regulation and sector. And I guess, Carsten, it's worth saying that plastics pollution, plastics waste and pollution doesn't sit in isolation, right, amongst other global issues. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're probably all familiar with the uh, ongoing efforts to combat climate change and to stay within a 1.5 degree uh, global warming scenario so that we don't go beyond that in this century. And obviously, plastics are made from fossil fuels, and they are, uh, to a significant amount, are contributing to the problems on climate change, but also when they end up in places where they shouldn't end up in in the natural environment, they are harming biodiversity. So we need to make these links, but for the plastics treaty to be effective, it's important that we don't stay just with loose aspirations. We need to underpin these with effective measures. And uh, as Eric said, by prioritizing those plastic uh, applications that are particularly problematic, um, we are mostly engaging currently with all sorts of plastic packaging as part of the work at the foundation. But we have other short-lived products which are also causing problems, especially um, if they are also made uh, to a large majority, more than 90% uh, from from fossil uh, uh, fuel. So I think the treaty can help us um, to look at reduction of plastic production use where we don't need plastics. It's not alone the only viable solution to the treaty to recycle plastics because then we keep on using them. And if we don't have the infrastructures and systems yet in place, they may still cause problems. But obviously circularity, it will be part of the solution. And uh, we know that we need effective regulatory and financial incentives Um, to help tackle plastic pollution 
that includes sound waste management practices, but also the uptake of circular economy solutions and alternatives to plastics. And that's where the treaty discussions will enter over time into more granular regulatory instruments, like, for instance, our work on putting more obligations on the producers who are putting plastic products or packaging on the market, that they would also be responsible for collecting and recycling them after their use. So these things, we are partly familiar with the concepts in uh, Europe and some other countries uh, around the globe, but the treaty has the potential to enable governments around the world to learn from the experiences to date and to use similar regulations across the globe. And that's where business saying, we would welcome that, but please do align how you want to do it, at least looking at regional specificities, how these uh, legislations on extended producer responsibility uh, could look like. Because otherwise, as Eric mentioned, it will be very challenging for them to comply with every legislation in 193 countries, especially if you're a globally operating uh, business. I mean, you're really helping to paint a picture of, of the complexity, but also the opportunity of these negotiations. And we've we've heard how this is about fostering a new form of collaboration between the public and the private sector or, or you know, incentivizing and supporting that. And the importance of this kind of being a legally binding set of measures, specific measures with teeth that set a new direction for the future of kind of thinking around how plastic is incentivized and regulated in the market. And, um, and it's obviously it's embedded in various other issues and topics. And that's the power potentially of the circular economy to kind of unlock a few of these issues at the same time. I wonder if I could just bring us back to the kind of here and now to conclude in some ways. And Eric, what actually is happening in Paris and what kind of comes after that? The plan for what will happen after Paris is that the the member states will then task the, the chair of the negotiation, of course, uh, then supported by the secretariat, to develop a, a zero draft, a kind of a starting point for further negotiations the next the next two years. So the Paris meeting will then be really important for shaping the that first document, shaping that that first written starting point. Now we've had a process where governments have submitted uh, their views. Uh, I think there's a lot of good things to pull from that. Uh, a lot of governments, and in many cases, a clear majority of governments, then supporting the kind of recommendations that we've been talking about here today. Um, and now it's the it's the task then uh, of the chair to try to uh, turn this into some kind of writing. And the discussions in Paris will be absolutely fundamental for setting setting that direction. Um, so it's important and it's it's crucial at this stage that we that we get ambition in there from the start and that we get governments to really come to Paris and be clear and be tough on, on ambition and, and start discussing these specific global measures that will go into the treaty and that we will then negotiate the details of over the next two years. And I guess maybe one, one final question from me for someone watching this, whether they're part of a business or just actually very keen to stay up to date with these ongoing conversations, what when should they be looking out for things or what might they see to stay informed? 
or engage? I guess that could go to me because, I mean, that's why we created in the first place the Business Coalition for a Global Plastics Treaty. So even if you don't have the capacity to follow all the details of the negotiations, if you go to our website, uh, supportive of our vision statement that we posted there for what the Global Plastics Treaty should do, we provide regular updates for our members and supporters on how the negotiations go, but also what kind of insights and recommendations we are bringing on behalf of the business community to these um, multilateral meetings. Um, I think at this stage, uh, I think we have touched it a uh, couple of times, where is already enough alignment amongst governments, but also all other relevant stakeholders about the overarching objective of the treaty, which is to protect human health and environment from adverse effects of plastic pollution. But we need in Paris, it's crucial that we go one step further and actually identify the means to achieve those ob these objectives through meaningful provisions. And then we are going only into the next round, hopefully, with already a proposed legal text when then the actual negotiations will start. And as a business coalition secretariat, we are trying to convey, uh, explain, uh, build capacity for businesses who want to embark with us on this journey to make this a meaningful international instrument in the end. And, and I think that's a really in important point to include on because we often say across the board in terms of the circular economy that the linear economy is optimized through policy, financial regulation, innovation investment over many, many, many years, hundreds of years of optimization and the effort that we're putting forward with efforts like this one, like the Global Plastics Treaty, is to to shift that system fundamentally and make the economics and the dynamics of it work. And that can only be done with uh, specific measures that drive at the heart and incentivize and regulate new forms of practice. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Circular Economy Show podcast. This podcast is published by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation and produced by Skinny Mammoth Media. Thank you to our contributor, Eric from WWF, and don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We'll speak to you next time. <laughs>